Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. Today on the show, we have Paul Smith, an expert on telling stories at work and at home, and he actually was recently named one of Inc. Magazine's top 100 leadership speakers of 2018. He's the author of three books. His first book, Lead with a Story, his second book, Parenting with a Story, and his latest book, Sell with a Story. So really excited to dive into storytelling with Paul. We're going to break down the techniques for how to tell stories, how to impart the lessons from stories. We're going to look at how you can find stories from your own life and then how you can also get stories from maybe the people that are close to you, your parents, your friends, and how you can then use those stories to impart lessons to your teenager at important times. Really excited to get going with this. A good place to jump in is you, your story. You know what led you to write this book, and and it's three books now. So you've got mm-hmm. "Sell with a Story" is the new one, which mm-hmm. I just read on Audible recently, and that's what kind of turned me on to you. And then I also picked up "Lead with a Story" and then "Parenting with a Story." Wow! And I really like it, and and they kind of go well together because the "Parenting with a Story" kind of is a collection of stories that parents can tell, but then uh, your other books kind of break down more how you yes. can kind of construct your own story, which I think is really important for parents because, you know, you, you also want to be able to kind of have your own stories from your own life. So I think the collection of them, the trio together is awesome. So I wonder how you kind of got into this and became such an authority on uh, storytelling and, and what inspired you to then write all these books about it. Yeah, you know, I guess uh, it started. So Lead with the Story was the the first one. And, uh, so that was for a very much my own personal benefit, really. I mean, I I still had a full-time job, you know, working in corporate America when, when that happened, uh, when I wrote that. And my, my goal was, my ultimate goal was to create a new career for myself being an author and a a speaker and trainer. And so fortunately that worked, but the, the interest in that topic was just because I, I noticed that the, the leaders that I wanted to grow up and be like, and work for, and end up, uh, you know, being like when I grew up in the company were leaders that had this great skill of storytelling. And I didn't know how to do that. And so I, I, I read all the books I could find on the topic and I still didn't know how to do it. <laughs> so <laughs> I just, I set out on my own personal learning journey, really. You know, I ended up interviewing uh, for that book, gosh, over a hundred CEOs and executives at companies all over the world. And I'm up to about three or 400 now. And, and I was looking for, you know, what are those moments where they're telling a story. Like, why did they tell a story? What Mm. challenge were they facing when they decided to tell a story? What story did they tell? And then did it work to to accomplish their leadership objective? Mm. And so each person I interviewed probably told me between eight and 12 different stories. So you do the math. And at this point, I've probably documented three or 4,000 individual stories. And so what that's allowed me to do is kind of reverse engineer my way into into what works and what doesn't. And so at some point along that early part of that journey, 
it stopped being just my own personal learning journey and became an idea for a book. You know, I thought, gosh, if I want to know this that badly and I'm having to go to this kind of trouble to, to learn this stuff, right. maybe there are other people out there that would like to know Somebody what I found. Somebody else in the world yeah. is curious about this too. Yeah. Right. So then it became an idea for a book and I went through the process of finding an agent and a publisher and all that kind of stuff. And that resulted in that first book, Lead with a Story. I see. Okay. And this one is pretty comprehensive. It's kind of does two things in one. It gives you a framework for how to kind of develop your own stories and then how to make those stories more impactful and then kind of when would be a good time to deliver them. But then also there's a bunch of stories in here that you could just steal and use in your own kind of career or business life. And you even, you know, say, Hey, this, here's when you could use this story and you give examples of times when you have used them effectively. So, so that's cool. So I wonder you mentioned like that one of the things you documented was the situations that kind of led people to share a story. So what what did you find were kind of some of the most important situations when stories are successful? Yeah. So so well first of all, I'm glad you you noticed that because there there are a lot of people who will pick up the book and think that it's only gonna be a book about how to craft these stories. But really, mm. as you found out, two thirds of the book is really a collection of leadership stories. So so you can read the book just to learn to be a better leader, just from the 115 different leadership stories that are in it in all these areas. Obviously, I, I, I want you to learn how to do it yourself too, which is the other third of the book, but it, it really is intended to be a part leadership book, part how-to guide to storytelling. So th thank you for, for not missing that. But that makes it actually, that makes it really impactful because then when you do get to the parts that are instructive, then you're tying back and you're saying, and remember, I did that in story number 22 right. and I'd use that, this technique in this story. And then it, as a reader, it's like, oh yes, he did. And by kind of tying in those examples, it makes the learning at the end really impactful, I think. Good, good. Yeah, I, I definitely, I wanted to, to lead by example, right? I, you know, I think I'd be pretty hypocritical to write an entire book on leadership through storytelling and, and not tell a single story. <laughs> be, <laughs> right. That would be awful. But uh, yeah, it, it also is designed to be a starter kit for your leadership stories, right? Like, like you said, you're, you're going to want your own, but you ought to be telling stories about other people as well, right? Mm -hmm. If all you do is tell stories about yourself, I mean, what kind of person is everyone going to think you are? Sure. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Not the kind of person you want to be, right? So you need <laughs> stories about other leaders as well. And so this is a a the first few arrows in your quiver, if uh, you know, if it were. But to answer your question, so wh what are those types of situations? So I, I set about doing their research thinking it was going to be just a handful of situations like yeah. needing to set a vision for the future, yeah, um, leading change, people. motivating and inspiring. Yeah. So some of the obvious ones, right? Right. And I was really surprised to find a lot more than that, that, that great leaders were using storytelling in a lot more situations than that. Um, so other ones are, are things like building commitment to goals or um, defining customer service or um, establishing the culture and values of the organization, um, mm. getting people to to value diversity and inclusion, teaching people to do their jobs, uh, even a little bit of sales, which I ended up blowing out into a whole nother a full book just on sales. But yeah. um, I, when I got to like 21 different leadership challenges, my publisher just said, stop. That's, I mean, yeah, that's, that's enough, know, Paul. That's yeah. enough. Yeah. You, you, you filled up a book, but I'm convinced I could have gone on and on and on. I mean, it, huh. uh, I, I just, I was pleasantly surprised at the, the plethora of situations where leaders are finding themselves telling stories. And I, I think the difference is, is that storytelling is a leadership tool, not a management tool. 
right? So if you're if you're trying to manage a process or manage people or manage decision making, it's probably not the best tool. But if you're doing something that feels like leadership, like getting an organization of people to do something mm. better, it's there's probably a, a story that could help you do it better. And so then the jump from leadership to parenting, was that a personal thing in your own life of becoming a parent and saying, hey, wow, this story thing would be really important here too? Or was that something that came out of like people asking you, you know, could you apply these to parenting? What made the second book this one? Yeah, a good question. So, um, I, I wish I could tell you that I just, I just thought it all up all on my own and it was a brilliant <laughs> idea. But, um, the truth is when I was doing the research for the first book, the leadership book, um, and I would, I would interview somebody and I'd find a story I really liked and I'd write it up and I'd send it to them and say, Hey, here's, here's how I've crafted the story. To, you know, how does it sound? You know, they, they'd write back, Oh yeah, that, you got that right or whatever, change this or change that. Oh, and by the way, I really could use that story at home with my kids. It's, it never occurred to me before, but, uh, and I, I kept getting that feedback. And that's when it occurred to me that leading people at work and, and raising kids at home have a lot of similarities. So if you think about it, I mean, in both cases, you're kind of the boss, right? In sure, both yeah. cases, you, you could and should care about their growth and development, right? At some point, they're going to, move off, you know? Um, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There, are, there are a lot of similarities, right? And so, yes, it turns out some stories can be just as effective told at home as at work. But but what that made me think was, of course, well, I should just write a whole book just on stories for parents to teach their kids, you know, the character traits that I know that they they want, right? That right. they want their kids to have. And so that that's what became the impetus for the second book. And it's kind of like a cheat sheet almost, this book. It's like you, you and, and in the back, there's a list of all the different lessons you could want to teach your teenager and then what pay, all the different possible stories there are. Instead of saying, don't worry, be happy, look at page 124, this story, right? Like all the things that you might kind of want to say, oh, a penny saved is a penny earned, right? These little kind of platitudes that we tend to kind of, you know, tell our kids when we want to give them a lesson. But of course, we know those aren't really that impactful or they're maybe not that likely to internalize those deeply and take action on them. But if you can just replace that, a penny saved is a penny earned with page number 98, story number 45, the magic of compound interest, it, it maybe is a lot more impactful. And so in that way, this book is like a, a pocket cheat sheet guide for parents, I feel like. Yeah, I, I like that. I never thought of that before, but I'm going to start calling it that now. <laughs> cheat sheet guide to parenting. Okay. So, I mean, for people who are listening, uh, we can't really go through all the stories right now. I mean, I really just would encourage people to get a copy because it's the kind of book that you want to, you know, hold on to and keep referring back to, you know, every time there's kind of a something that you want to communicate to your kid, you just kind of can flip through here and find a good story. But what I thought was really cool is you kind of shared some insights at the end of how you had gotten these stories out of people because through the interview process, it sounds like you kind of learned a lot about how to, to help people find stories in their own life and then how to kind of articulate them. And I think that's really important because I think that a lot of us, you know, when we try to think of like a good story to tell our kids about from our life, it's like, Oh, I don't really, I don't have any good stories. I haven't done any crazy, you know, you know, stuff. But what you, what you said in here is that you, interviewed what I, uh, hundreds of people, I think, and you have never came across anybody that 
there was not a single story in them, right? Mm-hmm. You just had to kind of know the right questions. So I wonder if we could talk a little bit about that and about kind of how parents listening could maybe go through a similar process of these 10 questions you have in here to sort of thinking about their own life and eliciting some some possible stories. Yeah. Well, so, okay, good. Well, it sounds like you've got it open to those questions. So I'll, I'll, I'll rely on you to, to share those at the right point. But so what I'll say is, um, uh, first of all, uh, when I asked to interview people, a common response I got was, oh, well, I'd, I'd be happy to talk to you, but I, I don't have any like great stories or anything. <laughs> so everybody thinks that. Now, of course, there's a yeah, few people yeah. that are like, oh, I got a great story, you know, but they've got, they've got one. And, and in fact, ah. I'm convinced that almost all of us have one or two really great stories in our life. As long as we're above the age of, I don't know, 15 or something, we've, you've had enough life to have had something really interesting happen to you. Sure. The problem is most of us don't have a hundred great stories, right? right? And and I'm convinced you need hundreds of great stories to raise a kid properly. So that was the idea behind the book was what, what if I interviewed, you know, a hundred people and got everyone's best life lesson right. and put those, but that way each of us as parents would have, I've got my best story and your best story and her best story. And, and that might be enough to get a good start at some of these things. So that was the idea. But then when I would interview people, like I said, mostly they'd say, well, I don't have one. And what, what, certainly did not work is asking people to tell me a good story. <laughs> that, like right. that never worked. I mean, I tried that at first and it just, it, it doesn't work. And, and the reason is, is because most people don't think about these things as stories unless it's something that they've told a lot of times before, mm. right? They say, so asking somebody to, to tell you a great story about their life doesn't register within, it's not connected to anything in the brain because yeah. that event is connected. To, it's an event. It's something that happened to them. In fact, yeah. that really became clear to me when uh, I, I wrote, uh, again, I, I'll, I'll interview somebody. They'll tell me a, a dozen stories. I'll pick the one that I think is the best. I'll, I'll write it up. I'll send it to them to ask them to kind of, you know, fact check it. Did I, did sure. I get everything right? Yeah. And one, one of the early interviews I did, a woman wrote back to me and she said, Oh, I didn't know that's what you were looking for. That's not really a story. <laughs> that's just something that happened to me one time. And I, I was like, that's what a story is. Well, that's kind of the definition. Yes, know? it's something that happened to you sometime. And that's when it clicked to me that people don't think of things that happen to them as stories. They think of yeah. them as things that happen to them. So right. if you want to get to those stories, you have to ask them about something interesting that happened to them. So that works a lot better. I like that. Yeah, it's like we have like folders, kind of like a computer, I think, of sometimes in our brain. And, you know, there's like you're trying to get them to access the story folder, but maybe they just haven't saved much stuff into that folder yet, right? Because they they haven't thought of it as stories. But in the stuff that's happened to me folder, there's it's full full of stuff, right? Yes, that's exactly that's that's a great analogy. So it's kind of cool. So, so then, so that's what you do here. I guess the first question you have, you have for people is tell me about a time in your life when you learned an important, but completely unexpected lesson or learned it in an unexpected way. Yeah. So see there, notice I'm asking them about something that happened, um, yeah. a, a, a lesson that they've learned. What I figured out is that two of the things that make for a great story is when there's something really emotional involved. It, it, the, something that happened in the story that affects affected somebody in an, in an emotional, personal, visceral way. And secondly, if there was a surprise, if there was something totally unexpected that happened, yeah. those stories tend to be the most memorable, the most engaging, the most compelling, the most interesting. Yeah. So I can't remember what all the questions are, but probably something will be in there about something emotional as well. So the, that combination of things, you're looking for something that happened, 
where I learned an important life lesson and it either affected me emotionally or there was a big surprise in it. Those are the things in general that you're looking for. Uh, You point out in your other, your other two books that, you know, you can kind of create a surprise. Like there may be a surprise kind of, some stories have a surprise naturally built in, but sometimes you're able to like structure them in a way that kind of manufactures a surprise. Yeah. And you talk about research on, uh, you know, rats learning mazes mm-hmm. and how when there is that adrenaline in the brain, after we hear something, we are more likely to remember it later. So you pointed out that putting surprise at the end of a story, if you possibly can, is like a really good way to make it more memorable. Can you talk a little bit about, about that and about how you do that? Yeah. So, so what you said is, is correct. A surprise releases a little bit of adrenaline in our brains, which turns out to make the, the, the memory consolidation process, which is the, the technical term for the process by which we remember something that just happened. It, sure. it's, it's like drinking coffee with caffeine in it. It, it. it literally makes your brain a little bit um, smarter for a few minutes and what, you know, until it wears off. Right. Um, mm. So you, you, it, it enhances the memorability of whatever's going on while that adrenaline is still in your system. So you want a surprise at the end of your story so that they remember the lesson at the end of the story, right? And so a, a, a way to do that, and I'll, I'll just demonstrate it with an example, and we probably should have a, a, a story anyway in this conversation, so here's one. <laughs> so uh, there's this uh, young boy named James, nine-year-old kid. He's in the kitchen with his mom and his mom's sister. And so while mom and auntie are at the table having a cup of tea, James is standing at the stove watching the tea kettle boil and he's just fascinated with it, right? He's watching the steam come out the top, right? And and he's got a spoon and he holds it up there and the little jet of steam, you know, condenses into little droplets of water on the spoon. It runs down the spoon and drips into a cup and it's just, he's watching the cycle go over and over and over again, just fascinated with it. And his mother eventually just, you know, gets frustrated with him and she just, you know, yells at him, James, like, go do your homework, right? Go ride a bike, go read a book, <laughs> go go do something productive, right? You know, yeah. aren't you ashamed of yourself? Uh, and uh, fortunately, young James was, I guess, undaunted by his mother's admonition because 20 years later, at the age of 29, and in the year 1765, James Watt reinvented the steam engine ushering in the industrial revolution that we, of course, all benefit from today. And mm-hmm. and all based on a fascination with steam that he developed at the age of nine in his mother's kitchen, right? Now, for, for now for you, you read the book, that probably wasn't a surprise to you, but for, for your audience listening, unless there happened to be a history buff, they right. probably didn't realize that that story was about James Watt, the inventor of the steam engine, until the end of the story, right? Right. And, 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 why, what, and why was that a surprise? And it was a surprise simply because I didn't tell you his last name. Yeah. Right. It normally, when you tell a story, the way I should have told that story normally would be, "Hey, let me tell you about nine-year-old James Watt," and and most people would recognize, "Oh, James Watt, isn't that the guy that invented the steam engine?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and then oh, right. then it's you know, it's it's interesting, but not surprising that he's playing with steam in the kitchen. You know, it's but so it's an interesting story, but it's a much much better story when you don't find out that that was James Watt until yeah. the end of the story. And it's kind of like a. You know, who's a, a Paul Harvey, you know, the NPR guy, he, he always, you know, now you know the rest of the story, right? Yeah. So that technique is kind of like, I could probably call it the Paul Harvey technique, right? But it's, yeah. you save something important from the beginning of the story and yeah, don't give it to the it. audience until the end. Just one, just one thing. And that yeah. creates an instant surprise. Yeah. And then in your um, newest book, you even had an example where 
There was no surprise in this story, but what you did was withhold the fact that it had happened to me, uh, you know, yeah. the person telling the story. And so you started it out with like, oh, there was a vice president of this company who went out and this thing happened to and blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. And then he got fired. And by the way, that vice president was me. And that just by withholding that piece of information and then throwing it at the end, it's like, oh, yeah. and anybody he's telling that story to on his team that he's kind of trying to convey this lesson to, I think that would be really impactful. Yeah. Far more impactful when you have that, especially if it's something bad happened or that character did something bad. And then you realize at the end, oh my gosh, that was you. And you just told me this whole awful story about yourself and you're admitting it was you. I mean, that yeah. that kind of self-deprecating story works on a lot of levels. Okay. So this is cool. I think maybe there's kind of two things, right? As a parent, maybe it's good to do after you listen to this episode, maybe spend some time just kind of trying to brainstorm some ideas, you know, about for you, what are the most important lessons that you've learned in your life? Uh, times when you've made big mistakes, a vivid childhood memory about feeling terrible, you know, smart decisions you've made. Just kind of trying to, to brainstorm some of these events from your life that are maybe in that events folder in there. Mm -hmm. And then also there's, you know, like you point out times when a need arises in your life or, you know, when you say, Hey, wow, here's a lesson that I really need to teach this kid, you know? And so then those, those specific things, either you could, you know, even if you don't have a story personally, you could probably find something online or you could ask, you know, some friends or something like, Hey, or your, or your, your parents or your brothers and yeah. sisters or aunts and uncles or. So you get these like kind of story ideas, uh, the, the event that happened. Mm -hmm. Uh, and maybe we have a list of those. Okay. But so then the next step is then how do we take that event and start to craft it, you know, to turn it into not just a, Hey, this thing happened at the end, but a little more of a story. Yeah, so that's where the, the other books come into play because, like you said, the, the Parenting with a Story book is really just a collection of short stories on those, whatever it is, 23 different character traits that you you know would want your kid to have. Which, by the way, I don't think we've mentioned, but th those are those are things like ambition and open-mindedness and curiosity and courage and integrity and fairness and patience and humility you know the, you know if, if you were to write down a list of character traits that you would want your kids to have it, yeah I'm, it's pretty sh i'm pretty sure it's going to be on this list right so there's right. there's one chapter for each of these character traits and there's three or four or five stories for each each one but so 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 you've got right there you know a, a set of stories to tell if, if you want more of your own unless you're just a really unusual person, you're probably only going to have one or two or three really great stories in your mm -hmm. history and hence the need for the book. But if you want more personal stories about people that your kids might know, like your their aunts and uncles or grandparents or whatever, yeah, you need to go interview them and ask them the same kind of questions that we talked about earlier. You're looking yeah. for something interesting that happened to you, not a story, you know, um, especially if you learned an unexpected lesson or whatever. So you can go interview your family to find out more of these stories, but the ones in the book are pretty good and, and, and they, yeah. they'll, they'll work for, for anybody. If you want to be able to tell those stories really well, that's where you probably need one of the other books because the other books I talk about the, how do you craft these stories? Like what's the structure of a story? Uh, you know, how, how do you get the right emotional component and the, the adding that element of surprise that we talked about earlier techniques for doing that kind of thing are in, in the others. In fact, what I did, and you know this since you read the, the last book, I tried to make it easy instead of talking about, uh, you know, the context and challenge and conflict and resolution and all that. I, I tried to simplify it and say, here are eight questions your story needs to answer. 
Uh, and, and the order in which you need to answer them. So you, you don't need to remember, you know, the th- is this the hook or is this the context or is this the chat? You know, I, I find that it's easier for people to wrap their minds around here are eight questions my story needs to answer and in this order, right? So mm-hmm. it's so if you'll remember from the book, it's uh, the first one is why should I listen to the story, right? The yeah. first question you got to answer is why somebody should bother listening to the story. Otherwise they might not, right? They might just mentally check out on you. But then you get into the real the real meat of the story. So where and when did it happen? Who's the main character and what did they want? What was the problem or opportunity they ran into? What did they do about it? And how did it turn out in the end? Right now that gets you through six questions. So then you're technically done with the story. And then the last two are really to help make sense of it. It's what did you learn from that story? And what do you yeah. think I should go do now? If you're telling me the story, what do you think? What's your recommendation to me? So if you're a salesperson, uh, yeah, yeah. you're probably going to recommend I buy your product. If you're my boss, you're probably going to recommend I go do X, Y, Z. If you're my parent, you're going to recommend I, you know, not cross the road without looking both ways. <laughs> you know, or don't do drugs or whatever it is you're trying to get them to not do. You need yeah, to have yeah. that ready, but but you don't spring that on them until after you've told them the story and find out what lesson they learned from the story. Right. That's, mm-hmm. that's important because the, the, one of the main reasons stories work so well is because they let people come to their own conclusions about things. And people sure. are far more passionate about pursuing their own ideas than they are about pursuing your ideas. Right. Right. So tell the story and then stop. So basically stop after question six, ah, after you've answered question six and yeah. just listen and see what they say. And if they say, well, mom or dad, I, I think what I learned from that is this. And so I think what I'm going to go do is go clean my room or whatever. Great. Right. That's because that's what we wanted you to do. Done. They got right? it. Right. But if they learn, if they come out with a different lesson and they're not going to do what you wanted, well, then you probably need to answer questions seven and eight and just kind of redirect them back on path. But if you, if you chose the right story and you did a halfway decent job of telling it, you'll never need to answer questions seven or eight because they already have. Okay, so uh, it looks like we're running out of time here, but I really want to make sure that um, everybody listening knows where they can go to get more of this stuff. You mentioned there's a guide, a question guide people could download mm-hmm. from your website about all the stories in this parenting book. So how do people find out more about you? Yeah, thanks. So uh, all that stuff is at my website, which is leadwithastory.com. So just the name of the first book, leadwithastory.com. And there are links there to all the books um, and like uh, the speaking engagements and training courses that I do on this stuff. But yes, also that uh, that discussion guide that goes along with parenting with a story so that you can have those kind of conversations with your kids about these. is it's It's all there. Great. Well, thank you so much for making the time to come and talk to us today about storytelling. I think that we learned some really cool stuff from you. Oh, great. You're, uh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me on. We're here with Paul Smith talking about his books, Parenting with a Story, Lead with a Story, and Sell with a Story. We're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. Unless you're really talking to a kindergartner, like most people don't want to be told you're, they're going to, you're going to tell them a story. In fact, I think even a lot of kindergartners don't, don't want that because what they think is going to come out is a long, boring, irrelevant story. Yeah, um, instead, right. what you want to do, and I call it the hook or the transition in, it's really just one sentence or maybe even a half a sentence that lets them know that if they listen to you for the next three or four minutes, you're going to tell them something that's important to them. I tend to not try and get people to summarize their lesson into a little pithy 
statement like that. And the reason is, well, two reasons. One is I don't think it's necessary. Um, the story can be just as powerful and just as memorable without it. And secondly, when people try and do that, I think it ends up oftentimes sounding cheesy and and like they're trying too hard. Like they're trying to teach me something instead of just... Yeah. Instead of just sharing a story and letting them learn it themselves. It, yeah, it, it makes it obvious that I'm the boss and I'm now in boss mode or I'm the parent and I'm in parenting mode. Yeah, yeah. So, for example, one of the stories uh, about my dad happened when I was a teenager um, and it made a, a really big impact on me. And, and I think it's the, one of the first stories in the book, but I actually worked at the same company where he worked and we were out at... Uh, uh, we were all having lunch. It was Secretary's Day. Now they probably call it Administrative Professionals Day these yeah, days, but that was not like, PC, right? But that was like 35 years ago or something. So that was called Secretary's Day. Anyway, um, I was one of the secretaries, right? I was a you know 18 year old file clerk in the offices there, and uh, my right. dad was a senior executive at the company, and so you know he was at this luncheon with all of his administrators, and I was there with my boss, you know, and we're all at the same table at this restaurant having lunch. And there were only two items on the menu for lunch that day because we had like rented out the whole restaurant with all these people having Secretary's Day lunch. Anyway, they came by and they told us the two things you can order is a club sandwich or a quiche Lorraine. And um, there was this book that came out in 1982 called Real Men Don't Eat Quiche. Okay, it was an absolute New York Times bestseller, but it was it was, it was basically a, a tongue-in-cheek book. It was a tongue-in-cheek look at the feminization of the American male, right? And so it was, it was just making fun of guys who had become all metrosexual and were getting in touch with their feelings. And, you know, and that was just, you know, deemed not very manly back then. Anyway, so that book had just come out. And so, of course, none of the men are ordering the quiche, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, right. all, they're all ordering the club sandwich and, and a lot of the women are ordering the quiche. And, well, and it, and it comes around my turn to order. And of course, I very quickly order the club sandwich, you know, because I'm like <laughs> 17 or 18 years old. I'm insecure enough in my masculinity as it is. I don't want to ruin it with, you know, ordering a quiche. Totally. And uh, it gets around to my dad and it's his time to order. And he said uh, to the waitress, he goes, well, you know, I've, I've never had a quiche before. So uh, I tell you what, how about you bring me half a quiche and half a, a sandwich, a club sandwich. That way, if I don't like the quiche, I, you know, I've got a club sandwich. But I've never had it before, so I'd kind of like to try it. Well, the abuse started immediately. Like all the guys at the table just started, you know, ragging <laughs> on him and calling him all kinds of names that I'm not going to say on your show. And, you know, just really giving him the kind of hard time you would imagine a bunch of macho guys would give a guy who had done something very un unmanly. Yeah. And like... Four or five minutes of this verbal abuse just was going over and over and over again. I, and I, of course, am just mortified, right? I'm totally. humiliated for my dad, but for me, my selfishly, for me too. Like now I'm embarrassed that my dad's the, <laughs> you know, this unmanly guy here getting dressed down in front of all these, these men. Right. And right. eventually my dad like calls the waitress back over and he's like, ah, please come back. I've got to change my order. You know, this is too hard. Um, and I'm like thinking, oh, thank God, you know, this abuse is going to end. And he tells the waitress, he says, so I ordered the half a club sandwich and the half a quiche. I need you to take back the half a club sandwich and I need you to bring me the whole damn quiche. <laughs> the boys at school would tease them for something. You know, I, whatever it was, oh, your pants are too high, your pants are too low, your shirt is ugly, your what, whatever it is, you know, the, the lesson in the story is do it more, 
not less, right? right? Because if you, oh, oh, so I'm, my pants are up around my waist instead of hanging off, you know, my, my, my butt, like is all popular these days, right? Well, you can either, you know, pull your pants down and acquiesce to the teasing, yeah, or you can say, oh, really? You don't like my pants? And then you can just pull them up a little higher. Oh, how about that? <laughs> Especially, you know, during the teenage years, the conformity instinct is so strong and wanting to kind of go along with what other people are doing and that those kinds of stories about you know being yourself right really impactful want to hear the full interview sign up for a subscription today you get unlimited access to all the interviews i've conducted it's completely affordable and your subscription helps support the work we do here at talking to teens thanks for listening i'll see you next time